0: Hi, I'm Hallie, and I want to welcome you to the Odd Life Podcast, that's spelled A-W-E-D, which stands for Awake, Well, and Empowered. In this space, you will hear inspirational stories, candid and heartfelt conversations, as well as advice from experts, all with the intention of helping women like you live odd AF. Because I believe the more of us that live awake, well, and empowered, the better this world will be. So thank you for being here and welcome to Your Odd Life. Hey guys, it's Allie. What's going on? How are you? Uh, how is your Thanksgiving? This is the post-Thanksgiving week. If you're listening to this sort of near the time of the, the podcast release, it is uh, the post-Thanksgiving week where we all... Debate our decisions of how good they were, the things we said, the things we didn't say, the food we ate, the food we didn't eat. But it's definitely not the time to sit and bash ourselves about all those things. And today, my guest is going to help us understand why that's so important. Uh, My friend Katie Horwich is on the podcast today. She is somebody I've been following since about 2016 based on my Instagram records. I, of course, found her on Instagram. Shocker. Uh, another Katie. This is the third Katie I haven't I've had on the podcast. I don't know what is about Katie's, but they're very bright, amazing, motivating, fantastic people. So if you're a Katie, prepare yourself. You may be on the podcast someday. anyway, Katie Horwich, she is somebody I've been paying attention to because of the work that she's doing out in the world to help create community and just awareness about something that we all have probably dealt with most of our lives. So let me share a little bit about Katie first before we get into the conversation. That way you've been a little more of an idea of who she is and what she's all about. So Katie is a nationally recognized writer. She's also a speaker, a mindset coach and a self-talk activist who has spent over a decade working to help shift the cultural self-talk paradigm. She's spoken across the country about self-confidence, about living fearlessly and about shifting the stories and habits that have shaped our negative self-talk patterns. Katie is the founder of the multimedia platform Want, which is an acronym for Women Against Negative Talk. She's also the host of the Wantcast, which is the Women Against Negative Talk podcast, which gives you tips, tools, motivation, and inspiration to help shift your own self-talk patterns. She's been featured by South by Southwest, NBC News, Lululemon. The Cut, and much more. She's also coached some of the most prominent brands and leaders on building confidence and creating impact, and has been praised by CNN as a woman empowering others around the world. She believes that shifting your self-talk is an essential part of shaping the world you actually want to live in, and that's more important now than ever before. Her debut book, Want Yourself, Shift Yourself Talk and Unearth the Strength in Who You Were All Along, was released this October with Sounds True Publications and is available wherever books are sold. Now that you know a little bit more about her, let's dive into our conversation. My guest here is Katie Horwitz. She is the founder of the Want uh, Podcast, the Want Community, and WANT is an acronym for Women Against Negative Talk. And I love that from the very beginning when I first saw it. And I want to really uh, start at the beginning because I think it's great that you have all these things going on, but I think it's important to show people where you started and where this all came from. Like, what was the inception of all this? And I think it's important to go back to the very beginning. Uh, I don't want to drag out your entire life story. I know that's sometimes not always <laughs> born, born on do a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I want to find out where, you know, where kind of the, the pain point maybe started for you for where this mm-hmm. Eventually came from.
1: Yeah. The short answer, the very, very short answer with- is that I got really angry. The mm-hmm. short answer is that I got really angry that people and women in particular were given such a limited toolkit. They weren't even given a toolkit, they were given like a tool to deal with the, these very complicated, complex, nuanced thoughts and feelings and the self-talk that we walk around with throughout our entire lives. And the longer answer to add a little more color to that is I grew up a highly sensitive, highly aware child, teen. This is just the way I've been. I often say to people that when people talk about getting back to who you were, when you were a kid and you were wild and free and unaffected by the world. I think that's great if anybody was like that. I, I was never like that. And if I was, then I not only do I have no recollection of it, but no one in my sphere has any recollection of it. So I was always taking in input from the world. And I also grew up in the 80s and the 90s, where things like confidence Were synonymous with narcissism or vanity. You weren't seeing women being celebrated in the way that they are right now. You weren't seeing women in collaboration the way that they are right now. And you also didn't get the robust mental health conversation that we often take for granted right now in 2023. That was not happening back in the 80s and the 90s on a mass media level. And what ended up happening is I sort of walked through life with this push and pull of knowing that my own confidence, which I did actually have a lot of, felt like it was in contrast with the world around me. So I felt like I have this thing that feels so special and so important that I am, for whatever reason, not willing to give up. However, I sense in both overt and not so obvious ways, the world telling me this isn't something that you should have and you are bad if you have that. I I felt that sort of dissonance throughout my life. And what ended up happening is when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I developed a whole host of eating and body related disorders, which anybody who has gone through any of those or knows someone who's gone through any of those knows that they're really not about the food or really about your body, right? They're about what's going on underneath. And for me, I had built my life up by pretending to get by out of protection. And I was taking in so much input from the world around me. I wanted to belong. I wanted to and I wanted to uh, be this, this full-fledged adult out in the world and also live up to all of the things that people I had sensed had grown to expect from me. I was a very, not only a high achiever, but I had a lot of, of strengths and talents that it seemed to me were the base of my worth to other people. So and I talk about this in the book there's a very very early story where I was basically scolded for not getting into line and following the rules but the reason I wasn't getting into line with the rest of my class and following the rules is cuz I was admiring a piece of artwork of my own and so this story that I developed really started there of my talents are for other people not for me they can praise and bask in my light, my sunshine, my talents, whatever it is, but that's not for me. I'm not allowed to do that. And so by the time I got to college and I was completely out of my element in everything that I had known, all of that sort of pretending that I had done to get by, it was my demise in the form of these mental illnesses. And in that time, I saw a commercial where it was basically the first body acceptance positivity focused commercial out there, and it was basically saying, "You should look in the mirror and tell yourself that you love yourself and you're beautiful and I was in the midst of my own two steps forward, one step back to and from in and out of my own recovery, and I thought, first of all, this is revolutionary that we're even able to say these things. And then I also thought, well, but how do I get there? And where are the steps and where's the framework to get me there? And that—that that is the moment that I thought of the idea for WANT, Women Against Negative Talk. And that was back in 2007. And so I think that it's really important when people are listening to, I think, the origin stories of whether it's an author who is writing a book. For someone who is starting a platform or some sort of project, I think it's really important to talk about how sometimes that path isn't linear from that first sort of inception or conception point and the ideation of it. Because it really took so much time after that of me doing my own work on myself and then actually relaunching the platform in 2015 to be able to stand behind, why do I care about this? What do I have to offer to people? What do I know and what do I not know? And how do I want to move this forward in a way that is real and lasting? And that also isn't purely based in what I am going through, because I I think that can be a really dangerous trap that we can get into.
0: Yeah, there's a, a connecting point that everyone has to feel yes, it makes sense to you because it's your personal story and it's important that that comes through because it's authentic. But then how does that relate to other people and how does that help them see themselves in your story? I think that's important a lot of times. I think that's kind of really where we all tend to, I think, maybe follow people, uh, whether it's Instagram or blog or a author, is because we can see ourselves in them. Like there's something about their story that resonates with us. And it comes from being able to be really real and truthful and saying the things that most of us never have heard before. Because I know growing up, and I was going to ask you this question too, is what it was like for you growing up. We didn't hear a lot of those things. I heard a lot of self-deprecation, but also at the same time, it's self-deprecation, but also everything on the surface has to look good. But what's happening inside is a complete mess. So a lot was appearances for me growing up and it looks good on the outside. Uh, but at the same time, they didn't love what they saw on the outside. They were constantly dieting. It's always like the the hack, the fitness hack, whatever that was. What was it like for you growing up? Was there a, kind of a a theme? You kind of mentioned your family a little bit in the book, but um, your grandmother, but tell us about your family a little bit, how maybe that impacted how you saw things and just what you what was modeled for you. Because I think that's a huge impact that we don't realize and we have to undo all that later on if it wasn't something that was positive.
1: And I think I love that you you ended with that thought because I think that it's also really important to recognize that when we are so close to mm-hmm. people, the way that many of us are are close to our family members, either in a helpful or a hurtful way, we pick up so much from people. And so many times we don't choose what we pick up. We end up picking up at all. Sometimes I have to catch myself, Hallie, because I think that, especially at the beginning of my work, I I would focus on the things that were the hardest and the biggest struggles. But then I also had to recognize, well, wait a second, there's actually a lot about myself and the way that I am able to walk through the world that I also picked up from my family. Because we are just, we are like sponges as humans and that that is something that makes us human. So I think that when I think of my family, as far as the influence in my family, I I think about predominantly the women in my family I think about my mom's side of the family because she's the youngest of four kids. There were nine cousins. We were all or are all about a year, a year and a half apart. We all lived super, super close. And so I grew up with this gaggle of cousins. We were all more like siblings than cousins and also lots of aunts, lots of family friends. Like There were people around just all of the time. And I think that because of that, I was able to pick up on things like how to be a good friend, how to invite someone into your home, both my family and the family friends that were really more like family than just friends we were all very social. And so I learned very early on what it meant to form an actual community of people. And also the narrative of the time really shaped a lot of the narrative that was going on, especially when I was growing up. And then I think there's also the conversation of the the stuff that is not only modeled for us, but was modeled for the people who came before those people, you know? So, like, when I talk about my grandmother, uh, I talk about her a lot in the second chapter of the book, and that was a a story and a piece of the puzzle that I thought, "I, I can't not write this book without this chapter because I think that so many people have similar experiences whether it's a grandparent or a parent or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle, whatever it is, similar experiences with someone in their family where they have such a deep, deep love for this person that they end up taking on parts of them and being aware of parts of them that maybe other people wouldn't. So my grandmother was, she was an artist, like an actual Paint things on canvas artist. And she just loved beautiful things. She loved culture. She loved her family so much. And she and I had what felt like a very, very special connection to me. And I also noticed that she could be hypercritical, biting almost to other people around her who didn't fit her specific model of what that sort of beauty and I'm not just talking about physical beauty but um you know essence should be and it almost felt like she would get angry very easily about it or angry at people and so I picked up on that too and that would come across in her in a lot of criticism towards other people. And the way that I picked it up and internalized it for me is my own criticism of myself and not wanting to be on that other side because, and I think, you know, whether that's a relationship or a job, whatever it is, I think that when something is so precious to us, and we see what could happen if it were to go away, then it becomes, whether the other person or organization or whatever it is has been explicit about it or not, they might even say, oh, no, you don't need to worry about that. It doesn't matter. It's what you are internalizing for yourself. And that was something that I I picked up on. And when she died, my mom and i actually were gifted by her before she died uh her journals she was an avid journaler she always told me as a kid when i did something that i needed to go home and write it down in my journal so happy that she instilled that in me and we were given her journals and photo books to sort of supplement the journals unknowingly and what i saw was this and what I read was the story of this woman who was in so many ways the exact same way that she was when she was 19. She was mm-hmm. when she was 90. And when she was 19, that's when she met my grandfather. And we're talking about a woman who was born in the late 1920s. So that world was completely different. And I thought, wow, I wonder if part of part of our bond Was that maybe she saw in me the ways that she would want to be if she was born into this time? And so I think we can't change those people, but oftentimes we can't change the history of the people who've come before us. But I do believe that in moving forward and making our own shifts in our own lives, that is. That can be a testament to their legacy. And that's also, I mean, if we're going to get kind of spiritual about all of it, if if we're all simply just energy, and that is science speaking, we're all just molecules bouncing off of each other. I think there's something really powerful that happens when you say, either in a micro or a macro way, I am going to do things differently. I'm going to dive in and dig deep, even though people before that might not have modeled that for me. And um, I feel very grateful that I think at this point in my life, so I've now been doing this work since that moment in 2007, I've been very vocal with my family about it. And what's been really amazing is that we now have conversations that I don't think would have happened or ever did happen in previous decades of our time together or previous generations of my family's life. So I I really, I really believe that what we do and the conversations that we have with ourselves about ourselves and then that we take out into the world, yes, they can do a lot of healing, but they can also help us move forward in a way that we really so often underestimate.
0: Yeah. You know, we can do the work, but sometimes the people that need to hear it the most, it doesn't always land, especially mm-hmm. if it comes from a place that's our family of origin. And I was going to ask you, how has it been received, the work that you're doing, if it's kind of stemmed from what you observed, what you grew up seeing feeling? Was it received well in the beginning or has it taken time or what's been the the relationship? dynamic with all of this with your family now that you've this has become your life's work
1: so when I first started I was just talking about my mom's side of the family there's also my dad's side of the family who we just have a different relationship from growing up because my cousins are are younger than I am my grandparents moved uh, out of the state when i was 9 but they were always super super present in my life i'm still very very close with them and my dad's mom she was the opposite type of person than my mom's mom and she was someone who she was she was a, an activist a women's rights activist in the 60s and 70s and she was deeply inspired by the civil rights movement. And she worked on multiple presidential campaigns. She worked on, she was supposed to be standing actually next to Bobby Kennedy the night that he got shot. And I forget what the story was, but she ended up staying home with, with the kids. And I mean, I can only begin to imagine what that must've felt like being almost there and she also she and my grandfather who is he he passed away a few years ago but they got divorced when my dad was in college i believe so that's in the 70s she also got divorced during a time when not a lot of people were getting divorced and she is the most positive bright light type person I have ever met in my life. Sometimes to the point where people will, and she she will say this and she'll laugh about it, where she'll say, oh, people sometimes roll their eyes at me. And I think that when I first started this work, she got it right away. I think that she got it, but I think that she was so... Almost relieved to be able to now have these types of conversations with someone in her family. And then once want started to get moving and I was doing this more, then I think what's really cool is it started to introduce new thoughts and new ways and new ideas to her. But she always was very open and receptive to it. And I think that most of the people in my family were I think that the the two pieces of resistance that I came up against the most which I think for a lot of people especially when they're first starting out this can be the stuff that completely stops them from moving forward right because if the people who are closest to you aren't giving you exactly what you need then it feels really really scary to put yourself out there for strangers so I think that the very first thing that I experienced was that people didn't quite understand that I wasn't just putting together this cute, precious hobby thing. Uh, I think that that has to do with the way that the internet was back in the early 2000s. I think that has to do with being a woman. I think that it has to do with not being in a traditional career path. I think that there's a a lot of parts of that. and. So I I mean, now that I'm going out there with this book, it's actually been very satisfying to be able to show people, hey, remember that fun, fun thing that you took seriously and thought was important, but you thought maybe Katie was doing as a hobby. Oh, no, no. This has been her career the whole time. And then I think the other thing that I came up against or that I experienced was that people would sometimes expect me to put all of this doing air quotes so the whole want thing the whole self talk thing put it aside and make a an exception for them so that they could go down this big negative self talk spiral but they would call me out on it first so i vividly remember some people saying to me, okay, well, I know you're you're Miss Want and you're the self-talk person, but, and then they would go off on this thing. And I think for me, what was frustrating about that was that it first stopped a conversation before it even began. And they made it very clear to me that they had no interest in making any sort of shift or change, which that's not my job to do. That's their job to do. But I think even more than that, it felt a bit disrespectful because this is what I have hung my proverbial hat on for so long. Mm -hmm. It felt like the subtext was, okay, Katie, put your integrity and your values and the thing that you care about the most aside right now well everything that you're trying to shift and inspire change in and i'm not going to change so it was it was really upsetting it was really upsetting and i think that in hindsight what i was able to realize in those moments because those people they slowly did come around and uh, they would start to catch themselves more and i didn't try and change them or shift them or do whatever because they'd been very clear that in whatever words that i don't want your help so i knew that that wasn't my job however those shifts happened over time and what i realize now is that them even saying hey i know that you're the self-talk person them even saying that means that they're paying attention so you can't get anywhere if you're not paying attention first.
0: I want to go back for a second though. You look at growing up and you struggled, you had some health issues, mental and your eating disorders. You were living in LA at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so what got you into the fitness arena? So this is a big part of kind of your aha moment as well, a little bit with fitness. So Mm -hmm. give us that journey from what you were doing. I think you mentioned in the book, I'm and reference this a little bit, um, that you were modeling and doing some things, trying to get into acting. But just give us the, the transfer from where you were and, and the mental health issues you were having and dealing with to the fitness industry and where, where it launched you.
1: Mm-hmm. Fitness was something that I found while I actually was still in college. I was in my last few years of college, and I went to school to be a professional musical theater person and theater was my thing. And so I was singing, acting, and also sort of needed to dance. And I, I was a, I was a double threat, not a triple threat. And for me, dancing really felt like me against my body because I would go into classes And first of all, 8 a.m. ballet classes where you are wearing complete spandex and it's a room full of mirrors and you have to look at your body when you are a 19-year-old or 20-year-old who is so deep into multiple body image issues, that's not a winning combination. So there was that factor. And then there was just the fact that my body wasn't able to pick up on the rhythms of Traditional musical theater dancing, the way that I thought that I needed to in order to succeed. Because my therapist once told me, and I believe I put this in the book too, but she once told me that if someone was ever someone who did theater when they were younger, they never just did theater. They were a theater kid. And those ideas of success get developed very early and they're very very narrow. And I think that things are a little bit better now just because the internet has honestly opened up so many opportunities for for artists and for performers. But it was basically Broadway or bust at that point. And if and it was Broadway or bust and you need to be able to do all of these things. And so I really struggled with with dancing and I remember going to my first group fitness, my first indoor cycling class. And that was probably 2005 or so. So I was in the thick of my own struggles and my own eating disorders. And I was 1000% had exercise bulimia going on where I would go to the gym, look at the counter, number things, and so I, I actually, I talk about it as my first class, but my first class that I ever went to was bef- way before this, before I went to college. And I loved the group atmosphere. I loved the group atmosphere and I loved the music and I loved that there were no numbers. And so when the gym by my college dorm ended up starting up group fitness classes and they had indoor cycling classes or spinning classes. I knew what those were and I thought, well, I'm going to try that out. And I was also in that stage of sort of being my own test subject because so much of what I was going through was just not being talked about at the time. And so I felt like I didn't have resources. And so I thought, okay, well, what if, and of course, this is me sort of fudging the rules at the point, but I was like, what if I, what if I go and I exercise?" But I go to a class and I go to a class that there is no number in front of me. So I can't look at the equation of how much I've eaten versus how much I'm burning. I'm not tracking anything. I'm in a group of people. So I have to be accountable. And someone else is in charge of the experience. I wonder if that is going to send me into a tailspin or what's going to happen. And I ended up going and I felt like all of the, because again, highly sensitive person, highly aware. I knew what was going on with myself. And that means I could also feel when it started to fall away. And it fell away in that class. And I was like, my body is moving to the beat of the music, but I'm strapped into these pedals. And so, I'm actually sort of dancing to the music in the moment. And the instructor is talking about things that actually have nothing to do with fitness or our bodies or sweating or burning off X, Y, Z. And I'm listening to music this whole time. This is amazing. And what I thought was, oh, well, I wonder. Oh, I also went to a class and there, there was an instructor who was playing Awful remixes of musical theater songs. This is before Hamilton mixtape. This is before it was cool to do that. Like, awful, awful, in my opinion, like house, dance, club remixes to musical theater songs that should not be remixed into that. And so I thought, okay, well, I want total playlist curation. And also, if I get certified to teach this, I feel like myself here. And that feels so good and so freeing and wherever my job takes me whether I'm on tour with a touring company or I'm shooting a movie or a commercial whatever it is there will always be some sort of community center at the very least that needs some sort of sub to come into the class so I got certified originally in tandem with my main career And what I realized is once I started teaching, I thrived on a stage. I didn't get that part wrong, but I thrived on a stage as myself. And I felt so much more myself when I was teaching than I was when, especially as once I graduated college and I was doing The work that I was booking, work I was booking commercials and TV and movies. And a lot of the work that I was booking was a commercial for a car or a day player in a TV show that comes in and comes out. And I felt like I talked about that sense of pretending earlier. I felt like I was sort of popcorn pretending. In my life, so pretending here, pretending there, and part of that, I think maybe people listening might be thinking, okay, Katie, well, but that's acting. That's the entertainment industry. The beautiful thing about about acting and about performance, I've now learned as someone who is way later in her life. Is when people bring their full selves to the table. Those are the magical performances that we see that we're moved by. And I didn't feel, whether it was reasons around me or reasons within me, I didn't feel like I could do that in the acting, the modeling world, because I started modeling because really all I wanted to do was to be seen and to be able to be my full self. And that was an avenue that. I could do that. But I started to feel like I came alive the most while I was teaching classes. And so I often talk about how getting certified to teach indoor cycling was one of the best, maybe the best decision that I ever made in my life because almost every single good thing in my life, I can actually trace back to getting certified. I met my husband. A, because a friend of mine, and I also talk about this in the book, forced me to join an online dating site with her. That friend was a fellow teacher at the gym that I taught at, and we had just gone to a yoga class. And that was, you know, these these little moments in our lives. I I think they they hold so much more weight than we know that they do. And that's why it's so important to be constantly getting curious, constantly being aware and constantly renegotiating. Like I was talking about, okay, who am I right now? How am I going to bring that person out into the world? How am I going to keep being that person and stay that person? And what is going to be the rightest, right choice for me in the moment? Because you really You never
0: know where that's going to lead you. You said something that was really important that I think it's been more prevalent now that I've looked back on it. Whenever I've got curious and I felt there was something that just felt right within me and I followed that, it never let me down, never let me down, nor did I ever regret it ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it sounds like you had that same, like you just kind of followed the breadcrumbs of what felt good and felt like you and felt in alignment. And I love alignment, anything that feels in alignment because then it's resonating with your soul. Honestly, mm-hmm. it feels like it's connecting to you on a deep level. And it it's like that, yes, this is it. And keep going this direction. And when you get that little ping, I think that's where things like being quiet and, and getting off the internet and meditating and going for walks, you get more of those little pings because you're able to, to be quiet with yourself and hear that. And even though there's music going on, you're kind of in your own head. I'll never forget um, being in yoga when I first started doing yoga, I was in my early forties and started doing yoga. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to be with yourself, Mm -hmm. to listen to yourself. And that's when I first started to understand how my body worked. I feel this and I'm feeling this before I was completely ignoring my body. And I realized going to yoga classes, I was able to start listening to myself on a physical, but also like emotional, spiritual level. And it sounds kind of hokey and cheesy when I say it out loud, but at the same time, it's one of those things where, um, when you get moving and you're just with yourself, um, I just feel like there's some things that just come to the surface that needed to come to the surface. And it's the the pings, the ahas, the curiosity, whatever that is. And I love that you had that in the fitness world. So as far as that goes, then where did that take you from there? So you, you were doing fitness and then still doing the acting. How did you guys get to New York? Like bridge that gap for us.
1: Yeah, like talked about Broadway or bust, that was in the plans way, way early on. And so I am not someone, and I've never been someone who sort of makes decisions out of, okay, I just want to do this and let's see what happens. I was not going to move to New York without a reason to move to New York. For me, and again, this is just me personally, me saying, I want to move because I want to be there didn't even cross my mind. And once I started to put acting on the back burner for myself, and there is a lot of wonderful theater in Los Angeles. There really, really is. However, I think that it's pretty widely known that New York is the big theater town and L.A. is the big TV film town. And while I was fortunate enough to be able to do some theater in L.A., I always thought, well, I'm going to move to New York for a show. I'm going to move, for, whether it's I get into a show or it's because I am auditioning for a show, it's going to be for that reason. And so when acting started to take back seat in my life i sort of thought well i i guess that's not going to happen i'm not going to move to new york let's see but i unless something very clearly takes me there i don't think it's going to happen and it was actually my hus now husband jeremy it was his work that brought us here so i remember going to new york with him i think it was our first trip together our first long Trip together. We had taken road trips, or we'd taken trips up the coast, but our first big trip together was to New York in December 2014, and I remember us sitting on a bench in Central Park and sort of daydreaming out loud, and and both having this moment of, oh my gosh, there's so much life out there for us to live, and he said something like, have you ever thought about living in New York? And I said, oh, yes, that was part of the plan. That was part of the life plan that, to be fair, and to your earlier point, felt like the the most aligned thing in the moment until it didn't. So that's why that awareness is so important because sometimes things that were once aligned don't feel aligned. So I never moved. And I'm so happy that I didn't because I would have never met him. And He was working for, he he now works for himself. He's a business and brand strategist. And he started up his his own firm, but he worked for a larger company at the time. And he had a conversation with his boss. And his boss was like, would you and Katie be open to moving to New York? And would you want to start up a, a New York? office because they had an LA office. They had a San Francisco office, but they didn't have New York. And he said, well, actually Katie and I have sort of thrown this idea around before. And at that time, that was November, 2015. So I had just left my full-time job in October. I think it might actually be the exact day that my book came out. A lot of things happened around that time. It's the anniversary of my bat mitzvah. It is the day that I left my
0: first full-time job. It's the day that my... You might even ask, what were you doing for full-time work? What were you doing?
1: Yeah, I was uh, an editor for an online magazine that oh, was okay. uh, in the wellness realm. And I was there for, I believe it was maybe four years. and. I was one of the founding editors, so I had a lot of emotional attachment to it. And this thing that I had, had played a small part in helping to build. And mm-hmm. earlier that year, I had relaunched one. And I remember thinking, okay, while well, I'm relaunching this idea that I had back in 2007. And it sort of fizzled out because I was doing my own work. I'm relaunching this now with all of the life experience, professional experience, and just knowledge that I have now, if this starts to feel like the right thing, I I am going to need to leave my full-time job for this. And I will say I was also still teaching and still do now, but I was still teaching fitness. So I was going to teach class before work, and then I was going to work, and then I was teaching class after work. So these were long days. So when I ended up leaving, and I think that I had a moment that I was trying to push down and trying to avoid, and I really had just this breakdown from being so overwhelmed in about July of that year. And I thought, okay, I need to go back. And I was on vacation with my family at the time. And I thought, okay, I need to go back. And I need to have a very honest conversation with my manager that, it's time. And they were so supportive. They were so, so celebratory. Um, and when I left, that was, that was October. And then the formal offer came in November. So at that point, the gym that I taught for, they actually have a lot of New York locations. So I thought I can teach there because I was teaching and doing launch at the same time and then doing like some side consulting, brand work, writing, all of that. And yeah, then we went and looked at apartments in April of 2016, March and April, and ended up moving in May of 2016. And it'll be seven and a half years now. And I get the feeling here, like, I did when I was in that first spin class. I feel like this is the place where I am meant to be the most me I can be. And that's different for everybody. And New York is a very it's a very polarizing city. I think that people either love it or they don't. There's not a lot of in-between. And I think that that can be true of a lot of places. And I think that when you find the place that really speaks to who you are and allows you to just come alive, but really stand by your own side and stand behind who you are. I think, yeah, whether it's a a place or a person, whatever it is, whatever consistently brings you home to yourself, that's where you got to go.
0: So question though, you mentioned being a highly sensitive individual. How does that work being in New York? There's so much going on all the time. Like, can you shut that down? There's energy probably constantly. The city doesn't stop. So how does that impact you and how do you handle that? What's your kind of coping mechanism or dealing with it in a healthy way? Great
1: question. Because
0: I feel like
1: I am actually the most chill that I've ever been in New York. And I think that there's a, there's a couple parts to that. I think that New York is a city that is built in favor of introverts. I think that you have to be really okay being in your own head a lot and being by yourself a lot because while there are so many people in this city, everybody's going everywhere and doing their own thing. And I think that New York is the biggest small town ever. It feels like it is such a community here. It's not a community like, okay, everybody's getting together every night. It's a community that is, oh, I support you and I've got your back. And I also think that, so I think recognizing that, and I am such an introvert in that way. So I think that I found a city that actually speaks to my own Rhythms in many ways. And I also think that it really depends on the neighborhood that you live in because New York has so many different neighborhoods. Sometimes the difference between if you have an avenue and then there's the side of the street that's to the west side, that could be a completely different vibe than the side of the avenue, side of the street that's to the east side. And I think that I have found, and my husband, we're very similar in this way, we found the pockets of the city because we've lived multiple places, but we found the pockets of the city that really allow us what we need to be able to take that full body exhale and really speak to what we need to nourish us during the day. So we're on the Upper West Side. We are in between two huge parks, Central Park and Riverside Park. My parents often live in Los Angeles, often joke that they feel like they need to come out to New York and visit us for their nature fix because we live by so much nature. And I think not every, I mean, one of the apartments that we lived in was not that that neighborhood was very in transition all of the time it was people going to work from work it was people staying in hotels it was probably the nicest and most beautiful apartment building that we've ever lived in however it was in a part of the city where that to me felt like i was in the the capillaries of the city i was in the pulse of it so much that i couldn't Really, even hear hear myself think and hear my own heartbeat, and that was really important because I think less for me, more for my husband, his dream had always been to live in that particular area of the city, it's sort of around like the Flatiron Chelsea area by all of these we could see the Empire State Building from our living room, and that was always the movie in his mind, and being there was very different. And what we realized is the apartment that we had come from was the Upper West Side. And we realized, oh, the Upper West Side is actually, that's, that's the type of environment we belong in. And here are the reasons why. And it's wonderful to be able to have such close proximity access to those places. And I'm a runner. And so there are many times where I'll run down the river so run down the west side of manhattan and i'll run to those areas so technically i can get there on foot you know i was there not today but i was there yesterday There are parts of the city that are still so close but i think being able to find your i'm a big fan of the cozy nooks uh we have a lot of cozy nooks in our home i think being able to find your cozy nook for the time of life that you're in is so important because I mean, our first apartment, I have no clue how we found this apartment or how it worked out, but it was in the West village, which is a very, very desirable area of Manhattan. And when we lived there, it was an amazing first apartment. And there were so many people who lived in that walk-up building who had lived there since the sixties or the seventies. Um, And I think for that first introduction to New York, it was perfect because you got the neighborhood atmosphere, and you were also in—you were able to acclimate to the city and to the rhythms of it. And now I go back to the West Village, and I love it. However, I'm now seven and a half years older than I was than when I was last there, and I think, okay, well, if I were ever to move back down there. Here's the area where I would need to be because this is the type of environment that I need to function at my best. And sometimes you can't control all of that. But I think when there are, when there are situations and aspects of your surroundings that you can control, I think because there's, especially in a city like New York, like we rescheduled this podcast till later in the day, because you we're putting up scaffolding right in front of our building. Um, I think that because there is so much that is out of your control, I think in order to not just live here but feel like you' are thriving here, you have to be willing to seize the things that are in your control and be really protective of those things.
0: Yeah, makes sense. well I want want to get to the book stuff real quick, obviously too. Yeah. you've got your want community, so you've built up this want community. Tell us a little bit about like what you have that you offer, because I think this is so important for people to know. It's not just a conversation. It's not just there's this thing that maybe you should look into. Tell us about the community you've developed and what it is all about and what you offer to help people help themselves in a way that they can, one, change the narrative, obviously within their own selves, and two, be a part of something that is a, a combined purpose. Like we're all here for this. Tell us how they can be a part of this. Yeah.
1: So want and the want community is built up of multiple different facets so that people can sort of build their own unique toolkit as they see fit. So there's like we talked about, there's the podcast, there's the site Women Against Negative Talk that has, I mean, there's a whole resources page that has a slew of books, newsletters, other podcasts, organizations, stuff that people can look into if they're curious or they can dive straight in if they're like I need to refresh my bookshelf right here. There's also the Substack that has my own writing on it and that has I I like to view my writing less as sort of me journaling. I've got my journal for that and it's something that is me being in conversation and in dialogue with people and when i'm in conversation and dialogue with people in in my real life storytelling is such a huge part of that and so i think that whether this is me being a highly sensitive person or if it's the acting background or whatever it is i am always on the lookout and often find and maybe sometimes find too many metaphors for things in life and so i think that when it comes to the community, I hope to provide a space for people where they can do that for themselves. And what's really cool is when we're able to do things together, either in real life or virtually, um, whether it's on a Zoom call or in the comment section of something, whether it's me talking to someone one-on-one or it's, be going to a conference or doing a workshop, I think I've sort of stopped viewing the want community as this very singular thing that people have to buy into, if, if you will, like for lack of a better phrase. And it's okay, if you are really interested in this work, come on in. The water's fine. Here's all of these people and all of these tools in this sandbox where Everybody is playing, and we're all on it's so cliche, but we are all on our own journeys. And so, I never expect, and hopefully, I model for other people for them to never expect to assume that one person is maybe further along than they are, or that one thing is going to work for them. I think that what's really maybe unique, hopefully, fingers crossed, about. WANT and about the WANT community is that there is not just an acceptance of, but an embracement of everybody being on their own timeline and everybody bringing different stories to the table, which for me is one of the most satisfying things. Because I think when we're able to do that for ourselves and then for other people, that's something that we get to model out in the world and i mean the world needs that so badly we need it in so many ways that are so much more urgent than i think people think of when they think of this idea of shifting your negative self talk or some people talking about it as being nicer to myself it it's really actually way more Serious and has farther-reaching ramifications than we often
0: even realize. Absolutely, and I think that's the thing about what you're doing is so important because it's it's like changing the whole foundation of what we've learned and what we've been told and taught for so long. It's trying to reshift and and create a different foundation, and then and then launching from there. And hopefully, then we can almost like starting fresh. Like let's let's kind of scrap all the junk we were taught before and modeled before. Let's start here and then let's work forward from here. And I think it's such important work. And I think this book is really helpful in a way that there's some things that you put in there that I really loved. And I want to touch upon this real quick is you talk about things like dead-end optimism, your through line, pragmatic, proactive positivity. And the way that you present it, I was like, oh yeah, you just put words to a feeling I already had and mm-hmm. I understood it. Um, and there's a couple of things that I just, and I highlighted, and put exclamation points behind it because I was like, yes. I get that. Like, I understand this. And I think it's really important that this book is able to almost give people words to how they've been feeling. And that's how I see it. And how I felt I'm only halfway through, but I really have enjoyed so far really learning your story, but also how you've turned it into action and a purpose, but yet also a game plan or a. A roadmap for other people, and thank you. I think I, I think it's really important work for sure. Especially, I think for the younger generation now that they're all on Instagram and on social media, and the the comparison game is out of control, and it's not even comparing yourself to real things, the filters and all the things that are happening out there. And so, I I would hope that this would be a great book for women of all ages, honestly, for women to rewrite the story of their family of origin and what they grew up hearing, as well as these young women that can start off on the right foot and not have to even go down that path. They don't have Mm -hmm. to even deal with that because they're going to learn this stuff through the book. What has been the favorite thing about writing this book? You used the word foundation
1: earlier, Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. think that's been the thing that has been consistently the most exciting for me and that, is consistently the most validating thing for me because yeah. people people tell me this very similar things to what you just said of this not only gave me some new things to think about but it also gave me things words and phrases and ideas to put to stuff that I feel like I already yeah. know and yeah. that for me I didn't want to write a how to book. I wanted to write a you know how to book because I also didn't want to be somebody's constant support system so much that they feel like they have to lean on me in order to make these changes happen. Because if that's happening, then all I'm doing is creating a cult of personality and I'm not actually doing my job and actually making change. So I think the the most exciting part of writing this book for me was coming back to and and really fleshing out the framework of the book, like the literal framework of the book. So it's split up into five parts. Yep. And the first part is called You Need a Self. So, okay, mm-hmm. we talk about loving ourselves, finding ourselves, being ourselves, whatever why should we go on this journey? So we need to know why we need a sense of self to begin with. Yeah. So you need a self. Second part is find yourself. And I talk about finding yourself as not a search out there, but a dig and an uncovering and unearthing in here. I'm doing little Mm -hmm. digging motions with my hands right now for anyone (laughs) listening. And then you can't just find yourself and call it a day and, not be yourself out loud, because that's when you start to feel out of integrity within yourself, right? So you want to make that Venn diagram of who you say you are and who you actually are into a circle. Yeah. And then what do you do when life keeps lifing and things get really, really hard? How do you stay yourself? And then Mm -hmm. once you do that in sequence, that's when you're able to really want yourself. And if people are listening and they're like, okay, well, where's the talk part of that? What I also talk about is that the talk part of self-talk is symptomatic. It's the shift of the self part that is going to spring up whatever self-talk it is, whether you label it good, bad, positive, negative, neutral, it's all information, but it's that core of the self that is going to color that information. And so I think coming back to, okay, well, what am I doing? What am I creating? Why does this matter? And how does this fit into the framework of the work that I hope people do, not just with me, but throughout their whole lives? Yeah, I think that was a really fun and interesting puzzle to keep coming back to because I I really do view this book as the beginnings of the blueprint of the foundation of this work. And so many people want to skip to the maybe sexier or more quick hit of excitement, feel good type things, which are all great and good, but if we want these shifts to stick and last in the long run,
0: Mm -hmm. just
1: like building anything, building a house, building, I don't know, building a, a set of Legos you need to have yes. you always build the base first you need to have a sure. strong foundation and I think that knowing that that's what I wanted this book to be and then continuing to write it and thinking oh my gosh that's what it is it's it is that thing and then hearing exactly. it from people it's just mm-hmm. been the best it's been the best I bet.
0: it's so cool um, I just, I I love the fact that you wrote this because I feel like there's so much need in this area because I think we've been so tuned into what is out there and it's really the work is always going to be inside and this is just mm-hmm. another proof of that. And if we all work on the inside, imagine what gets to happen on the outside. And, exactly. uh, you know, that's where, and I think that's where um, being awake, well, and empowered, that's kind of my whole thing too. I've got an acronym as well. And I, I feel like when we're awake, we're well, when we're empowered, that is internal work. And then it affects everybody else around us, as it, whether your mom, your sister, your brother, whatever. But when those things are part of your life, then it always will ripple out good things from there. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing; it will always ripple out good things when you work on that self and work on the talk. I mean, that's such a huge thing. It's such a huge thing, and I think it's it's a topic that I've heard my entire life and I've been dealing with my entire life. And so I I really appreciate that it's now on on on, on print that I can highlight highlight it like crazy and. But please send me pictures down. of those I pages.
1: I, I will love that. That's like one yeah. of my personal success markers as an um, author. I always said, for sure. oh, I want people to feel like they can highlight the book and yeah. circle pages and that stuff. You yeah. know, I'm not going to see everybody's pages that that happens, but just yeah, knowing I that will. people are doing it, that yeah. no matter how yeah. many books sell or don't, that's what makes me feel like,
0: yeah,
1: okay it landed.
0: <laughs> yeah, it yeah. landed. And so it I did it. The, yeah. And I love that the one quote that I loved, and it really hit me hard, um, was the one about your grandmother that you wrote. Um, I think I wrote it down. I It's a, it's a Cheryl Strayed quote from Tiny Beautiful Things. Yes. And I this was like hit me in the deepest part of my gut. And I'm going to read it real quick. It says, I'll never know, and neither will you, of the life you don't choose. We'll only know whatever that sister life was. It was important and beautiful, but not ours. It was the ghost ship that didn't carry us. There's nothing to do but salute it from the shore. And I've thought about this so much since I've read that quote. Um, And I have not read that book, so I need to obviously go read that book. But it just hit me because I thought about, okay, if I don't live this life, it hit me in two different ways. I think a lot of times about, should I do this? Should I do that? Should we move? Should we stay? What should we do? And we question ourselves a lot of the do's and the don'ts of our lives. And you're always wondering what my life would look differently like out there. So I think about that in a way. So I understood that from that perspective, but also from the perspective of if I don't do the thing that's really in my heart, then I am not going to show my daughter, my kids, whoever's around me, that this life that I've been dreaming for is possible. Um, And then someday someone will have that situation of me and go, gosh, I really wish she would have lived that life that she had wanted to live. And so I feel like now it's owing to myself to do the things that are in my heart because I am, you know, going down the road that's in alignment with myself. And then my kids get to see that. And I mean, as a mom, of course, I should do things for myself. But there's a point where you're a mom and you want your kids to be happy and live a happy life and do the things that make them happy but I have to model that. And, um, how do I do that? And so it's this work and it's just following the the curiosity. and, And I think it's rewriting a lot of stories as well that aren't the ones you want your kids to carry on and people around you to carry on. You want to rewrite that. And this is, I think a really important book that people can read that and go, Oh my gosh, either you didn't realize you were doing it or two. Okay. This helps me understand how I move forward and Mm -hmm. not continue this cycle or continue this negative talk or continue this behavior or whatever that is. And I just really commend you on, number one, having the idea to do it, but then actually doing it. I mean, I walk into a bookstore and I see the books on the shelves that are out there and you think about all the people that tried to write a book and didn't get it done and couldn't find a publisher or all the words that were left on the floor of the, you know, the Mm -hmm. papers tossed, whatever the metaphorical paper on the floor, but you did it. And it's out there in the world. And I, I hope, I'm i sure you're very proud that you've done this. And I think you should be because this is a huge, huge endeavor. And I just hope that you have celebrated and have done some wonderful Thank things you. to celebrate that you've done this. I, it's just huge. And I, I think that you're an amazing young woman. I'm so grateful to know you. However, we well, know you. We say this, but anymore, no, we these know days, each other. We say we, we know, say we know but it's like it
1: is what it is. Well, now um, we've hung out for an hour and 20 minutes and 58
0: seconds. So we definitely know each other. We don't, Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're good to go. Well, I want to just finish real quick. I always ask everybody in the podcast, what is one thing right now that is making you feel awake, well, and empowered?
1: Oh. You know, I wish that I could give you a specific tangible thing, mm-hmm. but the thing that is making me feel the most awake, well, and empowered. Empowered, yeah. empowered yep is exactly what we were talking about before. I think it's actually a two-part equation. It is paying very close attention to what's going on inside me right now, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then following that up with action. I really think that second part of the equation of getting curious, noticing what's going on, and then doing something about it, something that is in alignment with it, that is what makes me feel like I am living a life with so much awe. So yeah. having awe yeah. in my life and yeah. then doing yes. something about it. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Well, you wrote a book. I think that's a pretty good example of living awe as well. So Yeah, that too. Well, I, again, thank you so much. And I'll put on the show notes where you all can find Katie, her website, the community, how you can join her Substack, all that stuff. And anything coming up that like an event you've got coming up, are you speaking anytime soon? What's happening in your world that people can come see you in person if you're out and about? Anything going yes. on there?
1: Yes. So I actually just booked my January. So uh, this, we're recording this in November. The holidays are about to hit. And yeah, I know sometimes yeah. life can get a little a little all over the place for people. And so I'm going to be doing a couple of virtual things that to be announced over the holidays that hopefully people can join in or tune okay. back into. Sure. On their own time, but in person in January. So I've already done New York. I've already done LA. And in January, I am going to be going to Fort Worth, Texas on Saturday, January 20th. Then I go to Austin the day after on Sunday, January 21st. And then I am going to Birmingham, Alabama. Nice. Later that week. On Thursday, I believe it's January 25th, and these are all with an organization called Happy Women Dinners. Mm. And what they do, it's super cool. I did one in LA. It was maybe one of my favorite events that I've ever done, is they find a host in a city, and then they find an author who they bring in to speak to the group that is going to be hosted Mm. at this person's home. And so it's literally- somebody inviting you into their home there's a whole catered brunch oh. or lunch or dinner and then there's a conversation with the author everybody gets a book and so i have those going on in january and it is i mean it is the if people are listening and they loved this conversation they are going yeah. to love those yeah. events and okay. i have those on um on my website i have those on my social media if they're okay. interested, they can send me an email at katie at womenagainstnegativetalk.com or they can find me on Instagram at horwich, and I will connect them with the people to get their RSVP on the list. I believe I believe each one is capped at 20 people. So when we talk That's about it being so cool. like a great yeah. conversation, it really actually is.
0: That is so cool. I love that. I'm like, how do I sign up? I want to host uh, host you in Kansas City. Hold on a second. Let me figure yeah. this out. Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, again, thank you so much. I'm so excited that this is out in the world and we're gonna do a book giveaway. Look for the post on Instagram. We're gonna share the details on how to win the book Um, and that's it. So again, thank you so much. I love meeting you and talking to you. I can do this all day long, clearly. Same, same. This was
1: wonderful. (laughs) Thank you for being so generous with your time and with, with your community.
0: Thank you again for being here. I am so grateful for your time and if you liked what you heard, Please head to where you listen to podcasts, rate and review. Please share on Instagram, your social media channels, wherever else you go, so we can reach as many people as possible so they can meet these amazing women and hear these conversations. If you'd like to connect further, you can find me over at my website at hallysawyer.com or on Instagram. I'm usually going to be at uh, Hallie underscore Sawyer or The Odd Life, which is this podcast specific Instagram account. All right. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you soon.